but yeah, you saw that that photo that every that shocked the world that this is actually happening in Portland, Oregon. And then it, I, I feel like it just, you know, it synchronized. It brought other groups of people out um, that that hadn't had an opportunity or maybe even a chance because we, we were we were inside. So it's like folks came out regardless because, you know, rest in peace to George Floyd and what that reactivated some of us that were already doing activism work here in, locally in Portland for Black Lives. Um, and it just opened up. I've, I just, I've, I've just seen from from a May to now just a difference, but not so much of a difference, if that makes a little bit of sense. Greetings, everyone. My name is Alfredo Gonzalez Valenzuela, and you are now at the Climate Frontline. Hey there, welcome to day two of Community Week, the week where we're going to change the narrative around what is Thanksgiving. And so today is day two, like I said, and I'm really excited to have this second conversation with Laquita today. And yeah, let's just get right in. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo Gonzalez Valenzuela, and you are now tuned in to the Climate Frontline podcast. This is the show where I engage with leaders in social movements, industries, and artists to have conversations that center the communities that are at the front line of climate change. And our community does this one conversation at a time. So today I'm really excited to welcome Laquita Landford into the show. Welcome Laquita. And I'm, um, I'm logging in today with you all from Portland, Oregon. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and my nickname as my community know me as Q. So, hey world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited about this. Yeah, We're doing thank you. This virtual space today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I would love for you to just share a little bit of, about what is it that you do in this journey called life and maybe your, your favorite food. Mm. So I would say for myself, this journey we call life, this reality, this existence. Um, I am on a, like we've been in the, the quest of, as a healer, I would say primarily, you know, a practitioner working within um, the community of, of colors, uh, specifically the Afro indigenous black community. Um, and the work that I've been you know, just coming in at, from my perspective and my experience over the last seven years in Portland has been definitely um, on a climate justice lens and environmental justice uh, with focus on housing um, and how the shift has occurred as we have seen um, with different movements over the last couple of years. So I am building up from the ground um, an Afro village 
was something I refer to as our community um, due to the, the housing crisis in the city and state that I live in, but also just seeing this across the world um, as, you know, climate changes and also the economy has changed and shifted. Um, we, you know, we just recently talking about presidency here, <laughs> um, but the unpredicted, a lot of things that have been unpredicted in 2020. So I'm just happy to be here with y'all this evening just to shed some light from my own experience. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I call myself not so much of like an expert, but some experience from, you know, my own life journey. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm up to. Awesome. Yeah. And tell me what's your favorite food or, or fruit, if you wouldn't mind sharing. My favorite food. Oh my God. There's so much. There's so many. I love food. <laughs> I love food, y'all. But uh, I do love, I love, I love cultural food. I would say that my family, uh, I grew up in a home of eating uh, rice was, was like, the course of the meal, rice and beans, uh, frijoles, black, brown, you know. Um, so my family's from Central America and uh, we eat a lot of Caribbean food and I love things with spices. And I would say like I, overall, like one of my favorite fruits is a mango. Um, I love mango yeah. too. Each like mangoes, like, but you know, when you're in the tropics, you get those good mangoes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to squeeze lime on almost everything. So I think that's a cultural thing, you know? Yeah. 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 I like it. Yeah. Mangoes and lime. Absolutely. agree. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hey, so in, in this podcast, um, I have a strong, uh, focus on, on language because language is just so important to, to the mm -hmm. way everybody navigates things. So uh, I'm just curious to know, uh, you mentioned environmental justice and climate mm -hmm. justice. Could you just speak a little bit about like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Um, thank you for, you know, thank you for um, acknowledging, you know, words are powerful and language is, you know, we don't all speak the same language. And these terms, those two terms um, that I took, two words that I put out there really comes from like the community that I'm, that I'm a part of today. Um, I didn't know, 20 years ago, what climate justice meant or environmental racism or any of those things. But what I could say is that I lived in, I've lived throughout my almost entire, my entire journey, like, well, in my earlier childhood before I could determine or have a say in where I wanted to live at, that those words, you know, fit the narrative from a political angle, right? These are words that make someone else feel good. It may not necessarily make us feel good as people of color until we really start to dive deep into where we're at today, you know, if that makes sense. Um, environmental, um, environmental justice is just, you know, we've seen the practices of within our communities that we live in near you know, areas, like they said, you know, I'm African American, if that's what people look at me and identify me as, as a young girl coming from the ghetto, coming from South Central LA, you know, where we had, that wasn't that many grocery stores in our neighborhoods, there weren't really, quote unquote, good schools and education. So I look at that as an environmental injustice, because if my environment was well or set up for me to thrive in, then well enough that could have been like the early start of my childhood, 
right? So like the climate just as, just as well. So I think they're just like vocabulary terminologies of, of learning, even with housing justice, like what does all of this justice mean? Justice is that we, we can recognize and identify we have not been getting justice in the last 50, 60 years in America. We can go back, but in my age range, there's no justice. If there's no justice, there's no peace. No justice, no peace. Absolutely. No, just, no peace. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I love what you're sharing because in, in many ways you're tying it back to justice, right? And I think that's at the center of, of the language struggles is that they come up with many terms out there and it makes people feel good. But at the end of the day, what does that mean for for those communities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious to know a little if you could share a little bit about this project that you've been working on for uh, quite quite a while now, right? Uh, this Afro Village project. I know you're really passionate about it. I'm curious if if you would be willing to share a little bit more about it and and you know um, how it drives you and and the work you do. Sure. You know when we sp- you know that we've heard that like again language passion. Um, passion what is passion uh, what's what's your purpose again our existence thinking about this reality of life as i as i untangle all of these things and so the afro village um is re- is my response to again language and re- moving back to portland in 2014 having a struggle um with finding, you know, safe, safe and comfortable housing and affordable housing for myself. And um, that was like one of the reasons why I moved back here because I lived here before, but not originally from here. So um, it just, it, it, there is, it's a response to gentrification, displacement, and identifying as a black woman, seeing these struggles with black women and Latina women and, you know, just not just trans women, you know, and trans folks being able to not find safety and security and housing. And then with, again, with capitalism and rent just being sky high, um, I was able to work at an agency, Urban League of Portland here locally, in um, Portland in 2016, after we had a major like snowstorm for a couple weeks, um, and it brought me to recognizing through other people's story how much of a crisis and a deficit that we had been as African American folks. And one a part of the you know our outreach or my outreach was that it was it was already set up to go to a few of the shelters, and we have locally a few not um well we have one sh- one village it's called dignity village and so i just found it to be very fascinating and was more curious about you know where me as a person for this position that i was in to basically identify or locate black people right and at these spaces that i went to living in a very white state state and a community that realized recognizing that like white folks colonized, you know, spaces for themselves and people of color were left out of those conversations until the aftermath. And so again, recognizing where my family come from, come from a family of immigrants coming to America, not feeling like they were, they were out of place. And then when I'm able to return home or to return overseas, I see like this communal 
of folks taking care of each other or at least acknowledging each other when you pass by Miss Grandma house and Nana's house, there's always like, hey, Laquita, you know, you can speak. So wanted to bring that vibe to Portland um, from the spaces that I had that brought me, you know, around housing and gentrification. So it's not complete. We're in some, it's been about you know, almost two years and we're getting around to a location and a site, not so much to build out the village right now. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like things are just the universe is opening up doors. Um, so I'm just going with some of that flow through this time, but it's going to take some time for we, us to get to the in actual structure and foundation of that. And I think that the village could, you know, live, we're seeing tiny homes. It's a tiny home community, you guys. Um, in, in other words, but a communal space, co-housing and taking care of each other in a multi-generational way. So that was a lot. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I appreciate you sharing that because in, in many ways you're talking about um, just finding a sense of community where you can be with people that uh, can greet you as you walk in, you know? And I think that could go a long way in just feeling uh, a little like home, right? Or, or a lot like home if if you have individuals that that can make you feel that way so so thank you for yeah, sharing that and, yeah and and a part of like the foundation for myself as a person who later on in life had you know discovered like a disability you know and and mental health and all of these 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 things so to nourish right like we yeah. ask ourselves what are some of the root causes to trauma and so we see that the system has been completely um, it's, it's, it, the system has worked for itself, but we also have the ability to, to govern our, ourselves in that way. So this is that, that like, that's, that's the foundation of healing and nurture and reclaiming space and land. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I can only imagine that, uh, mental health and, um, taking care of oneself, um, uh, closely related to climate and environment, right? Uh, yes. has become even more important for you in, in the past couple months as COVID took place and all these other things happened in, in 2020, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, world. Yeah, folks out there, COVID, you know, um, really has been, has been something all by itself that was an unexpected. But again, that's life, right? We keep playing, you know, sometimes all we want. And um, some things will work out, but we we were all hit for this global pandemic. So it, it it shook up a lot locally. Again, like I mentioned, there has been a housing crisis. Um, so to before folks were being moved around, swept around the city, if they were um, what now the governor and many of us are saying shelter in place and just taking that action and responding to uh, the emergency that we were we were called to uh, to to help dive into. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been really challenging. I was out today, and there's just like so many tents around the city. And like again, as a person who really honors the 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 universe and the earth, to see as much like waste trash in our you know and, and a lot of waste, you know. Um, but yeah one day at a time <laughs> one day at a time yeah one day at a time uh, um i want to um you know ask you about this narrative that i think a lot of folks are seeing in media 
and specifically there's this narrative about you know uh portland being portlandia and uh as you Ooh. know like portland being this progressive city and i think in some ways you know folks can argue that it is progressive and then you saw this picture of i don't know how many people on top of this bridge that were um you know protesting and uh just this rhetoric that i think the mainstream media is building about what portland is right and yeah many like ways, today. Uh, yeah i just wanted to turn it over to you to to um tell me a little bit about the narrative that is not being told because i know you are seeing things on the ground that not even uh you know uh the news media outlets that are are trying to shift away from the mainstream narrative are covering so i just want you to build that narrative and, and let me know what you're seeing that that's important right on the ground yeah. over there yeah like even today you know like i just mentioned about the amount of um you know unhoused community members and folks are here just within the last couple months that may moved in may have you know migrated this way to portland because of like what they were seeing on media and that that picture of those man i don't know how many people on that bridge is literally like 10 minutes away from where i live at and it's the burnside bridge and that's one of the bridges that i love so much in portland because the city is connected from one side of the city a river you know we're split for the willamette river and to go over bridges and i really do love the like that's like that that feels like a you're, it's a it feels safe it doesn't feel like you're on a bridge it feels like you're a part of the community it's actually um it actually is, is is known in this region as our lifeline. Um, in an event that we have a, a, a an earthquake, that's the bridge that we would we're looking to utilize because how it goes from where we could Beaverton and all also to Gresham. And so I I, I wasn't a part of that that um, that protest or that rally that day because there was so many events that were happening back to back. But I thought when I saw that you know locally like what a beautiful what what does that that unity look like i mean this was march we were told on the 16th that we're in a crisis we're in a pandemic stay at home and stay safe save lives and there was just you know it was a, it was like a ghost town you only went to the grocery store now we're wearing a mask you know, all of these things. But for myself, I had been leading up to this emergency preparedness possibly possibly about a year and a half before this pandemic. So somewhat prepared in a lot of ways not, right? Um, but yeah, you saw that that photo that every that shocked the world that this is actually happening in Portland, Oregon. And then it I I feel like it just you know, it's synchronized. It brought other groups of people out um, that that hadn't had an opportunity or maybe even a chance because we, we were we were inside. So it's like folks came out regardless because, you know, rest in peace to George Floyd and what that reactivated some of us that were already doing activism work here in, locally in Portland for Black Lives. Um, and 
it just opened up. I've, I just, I've, I've just seen from, from a May to now just a difference, but not so much of a difference, if that makes a little bit of sense, because it called in, you know, feds, you know, it, people being able to hide behind a mask or some, I feel like people, white people who have uh, resources that communities of colors did not have access to were able to respond in response, like for black lives. You know, the first day that Floyd, like he, it was on a Monday or Tuesday that he was murdered. And that Friday, you know, there was a big rally downtown. We're usually at our justice center. And I went down there and I held up my Black Lives Matter sign for seven hours. And I was not approached or felt welcome by others that were around me because they didn't look like me, but they were screaming aggressively Black Lives Matter in the streets. And, you know, when the police showed up, there was just like, you know, really, I, I get it because that's why I was there. But I was there to to show my respects to my brother Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big difference between uh, saying Black Lives Matter and, and just a hashtag BLM, right? There's a huge difference for me. Um, I'm not going to age myself completely, but let me just say <laughs> I am 20 years, 20 years older than my, than the person that's interviewing me. <laughs> in <the sense>. <laughs> <laughs> Wiser. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. But no, I, I seen that. And so like, again, I was out today just kind of in Northeast Portland where historically a black community from one era to a next and not so much of that in the, my, my, mom or a good friend of mine that I'm with, she's about 20 years older than me. And we just went for like a ride and we didn't see our people, but we saw Black Lives Matter signs. We saw political, it's like you say, it's just the progressive place, but it doesn't feel like there's progression when your neighbors are not black or when you walk into a convenience store or you're at the gas station on Martin Luther King and the cashier is white. The person's pumping your gas is white. The people who get in gas is white. And it's just two black women in this, in this, in this space when this is what our neighborhood. So it doesn't feel, yeah. it doesn't feel community anymore. It doesn't feel like we exist because we've been pushed out. Yeah. And you know, that's a problem for me. That's a huge problem. Yeah. And you and I, we were talking about this earlier. Uh because when you watch the the media, you know, and they're covering these these riots, you do see some black people or African American people there. But where are those folks from? Uh, so, you know, my experience over the summer, because I I, I I I tapped in a few a few times during the day, mostly because the daytime. The daytime protesting is different than the nighttime protesting, right? They say in my era, the freaks come out at night. You know, it's like vampires. It's like once it 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 just started happening, it was it was ongoing. So the energy at night definitely was different during the during the day. You had mostly like where you can see unhoused folks or folks just like keeping their posts. So that's the that's the time that I would want to, that I have visit those sites just a few to talk to folks. And I discovered that folks had traveled from Seattle, Washington, from Los Angeles, from the Bay area. Uh, the folks actually who were doing riot, what they, they now call themselves riot ribs. 
um, they were feeding, you know, the community and it like they responded like they were not called riot ribs before they got here, but they held they they set up they set up shop as other folks did as well. And they were people were donating food and funds and all sorts of things for to them. I would say from July, from June until a little bit after the feds had left, like it was a really deep crowd of people that were there ongoing and they kept moving the people and they just, they wouldn't move. So, um, but yeah, we had, we had black folks that were locally from Portland, you know, folks, um, college students, um, again, we're in a pandemic. We're in a place where folks are not working. There's not normal activities happening. I would see at night where if I was to go down just to see what's going on, it became like a hangout. And I'm not the only one saying that. Other people in my community that are around my age that we really wanted to support, but we didn't really know what was going on. It was just a lot of chaos. You know, there were people that were speaking their truth, and I'm not going to deny them for of their truth because it's their truth, and truth brings power. Yeah. But there were there were, you know, we had young people who were stepping up, beautiful, you know, messages, you know, quite a few different groups were activated and folks, but it, it, it seemed like there wasn't a lot of organization. And one thing that I've learned as an organizer and an activate, you have to organize to mobilize so that we can stay, stay safe with each other. And they came out every night and that was their message. We do this every night, stick together, stay tight. and again, a place of belonging, you know, it felt for some, that's just what they, that's what they can offer. And they chanted very loudly that black lives matter. And I strongly believe in their hearts and in their, in their hearts, that's what they, 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 they meant. And that's what they mean. Somewhere along the way, there has been some distraction and derailing from that. And again, we've seen some of those things play out in the media with the proud boys and different anarchist groups. And now there's like, there's violence and there's vandalism. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, in in many ways really sad and and in other ways it just leaves you with a sense of despair. You know, what is it that you do in, in those times? And, um, without having that community that you can call upon, everything becomes a lot harder, right? Definitely. Definitely, because, um, you know, folks start to shy away from the Black community, you know, not wanting to even be affiliated with with that notion of, like, you know, just, just myself, the work that I presented or my direct action led to me organizing out of a local coffee shop in my neighborhood where was closed down, but the the owner and I have a really good relationship. And we, you know, it was work that I had already been working towards when it came to, you know, bringing awareness around having more porta potties or places for folks specifically like women. You know, I come across a lot of women in my community, black, white, you know, wherever they young, old, across the spectrum and just knowing like, Hey, sometimes I, I can't go in this business because I'm not buying anything. Right. And I need a bathroom. So that was my advocacy. I gathered some funds. I searched around to get a porta potty. It was really hard to even rent out a porta potty in downtown Portland um, because the companies were so such in fear, like not a fear, I would say, 
but reluctant to place one so it wouldn't get damaged. Mm-hmm. And I set that potty, that portal potty. That was kind of like, you know, if you didn't have a phone and you needed to use a pay phone, like back in the day, like, man, here's a portal potty. And, you know, I use that as a to- uh, organizing tool and it, and it started off really great. Um, you know, we had the exhibit, there was an Afro village exhibit that, uh, hosted was hosted by myself in Portland state, which mean with the materials, because what we're, what I'm really advocating for or really presenting is alternative sheltering for place folks. Now, you know, if you want to live in your car, let's find the best way safe for you to live in your car and where you can go. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's these tools and in these guidelines. So yeah, th- those were my direct actions within that because people still needed, we're looking for leadership and the politicians, local politicians were not available for those conversations or were the nonprofit organization staff in that, in other words, you know, all people were being able to get access to possibly with some food, but not anything else, not their medications if they have mental health. So it's like, it, it, it just got kind of crazy. It got out of hand and it's still out of hand for me. Like it's, it's really not, I'm not seeing a lot of, I don't, I just don't know. I'm, I, I don't really have a lot to, to add besides what to stay focused on what it is that I'm, what I'm actually working on. Yeah. Cause if so, it makes a difference, then so be it, you know? Yeah. And so how, how are you able to, to stay focused and, and keep motivated and keep um, fighting the good fight? Like like you you're doing because uh when i think of leadership in in portland i i you're one of the people that, that comes to mind in terms of moving forward and, and still trying to um make the portland feel like a place in home so yeah it's definitely right now um it's my mental health you know focusing on my breathing and my own awareness and like having conversations like this from a distance that, you know, we may not all be the signal, right? It's a broadcast. We want to get the message out. We want folks to um, have a different perspective or be able to hear different voices from folks and reach out like you did to me because you caught, like I was on a live two weeks ago, my, from one of my most recent experiences, just from going to the grocery store and being super triggered by this person that was behind me in line. And so I appreciate you, you know, we've known each other for a couple years. You've been gone for about a, a year, over a year, right? And, uh, but you seem to, if like, maybe if you're, you don't reach out or say anything, I mean, I see your likes or your loves every now and again, cause I'm actively on social, like on Facebook and that, and I, and I appreciate that because I, 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 I feel that you would see my growth. And like you, you mentioned about you seeing me as a leader, cause you're continuing to see whether I fall down, I get back up. Um, but right now I am leaning on my community or my tribe with the same frequency. Like this is a literal broadcast, you guys, for us to collectively come together, um, no matter where we are and where we're listening to this podcast from, uh, to reach out and figure out new solution because there's so many problems. We can continue to talk about the problems, but it, it it's mental, like it's your mental. If we can shift the vibration for humanity, 
then we can shift some things collectively. And I feel like, you know, the, the dominant culture is just, it's greedy. It drains you. It sucks you dry. It, it wants entertainment. And I have as a person of color, as a black woman, I have no much, no more entertaining. I don't want to entertain you. I want fucking action. You, you know what I'm saying? Excuse me. I, I like action oriented solutions for the betterment of whoever is in that space, because we all need to heal. This is traumatizing. Death is traumatizing. Unexpected is traumatizing. You know, it leaves you being weary. When we say, my family say, pray, if we're going to play, pray, then why worry? So if we're family, then we should be checking in with one another, making sure each other is okay to the best of our abilities and sharing our resources and skill sets with each other, young and old. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that because to me, uh, staying in touch with you also uh, makes me aware of, of the realities that, that you're facing and the realities that many other folks around the world are facing. So I think these conversations are just really important to have and then to continue having because uh, I think talking about these issues is also part of that processing that trauma. Like if you don't talk about what's going on or what has happened, then then you just internalize it, right? And when you don't talk about it, then all of a sudden you start manifesting it some other way that may not be healthy. Which and is so the sickness, right? Which is like this virus literally is because our immune systems is, has been, we've been compromised. So those who mostly, and what I mean by that, like I have an autoimmune disease that I have had for about 10, 11 years, which was identified by you know, uh, Western medicine or Western physicians to call it uh, multiple sclerosis. And that's when your nerves, when your immune system attacks your nerves. So what we've learned from COVID, so like, like me, I'm a, I'm a cell in my body, right? And if I'm in that environment, I could easily get sick and I can easily drop down and yeah. easily be gone because my I'm compromising my immune system because my immune system is not where I want it to be. So that, yeah, getting, you know, drinking water, you know, putting, you know, like drinking your fluids, um, nurturing yourself, getting the rest that you need um, when there's stressful moments, you know, recognizing that if you can, like if once you know yourself, you like some things just don't matter. I can't respond to every time a person, someone dies in the streets. I just can't because I will internalize that. But what I can do is give grace and send out as much love to that family or that individual because they definitely didn't deserve that to go in that way. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's just those things. It's, it's finding the tools that works for you individually, works with you collectively, because the numbers of COVID or what they, you know, they continue to fluctuate. They go up, they go down. So why are they going up? And why are they not coming completely down? Why are we still wearing a mask? And we don't know for how long we won't be wearing a mask. Right. So like taking care of ourselves and our immune systems, getting some you know, being in a healthy environment, creating space for yourself that gives you some time to like take it down for a minute and then you can turn back up. Absolutely. Yeah. One one thing I appreciate about you is th that uh, 
you always bring good energy with you. And obviously, sometimes you come from uh, difficult uh, moments. But um, when when you're when you're uh, in in a more stable place, your energy is really strong. And and I just really uh, have appreciated that about you since the day I met you. So thanks for being at the show. Uh, you know, as we wrap things up, I'm I'm curious to know if if there's where can folks find out more about what you're doing there and, and ways to support you and, and the community that you're trying to nurture? Yeah. So right now, well, I recently changed my IG, my Instagram name, but um, we're, we're working on my team and I are working to complete by the end of the year, like hopefully within the next couple of weeks, our Afro village uh, website that way, people of you know all over can contact us and learn more about it's kind of you know crazy to like articulate and if i give people like my facebook folks will come looking for me <laughs> you know but the, you know I, I would say you know i can come back again when everything is you know really in motion around the afro i would love to have you back <laughs> yeah and that way we could you know like the the website itself would would already be up that way there's a way folks can con contribute, you know, in any way that they feel that they can, whether that's, um, you know, financial, you know, we're, we're building a village, we're building a community. So we are in the process right now of writing, um, writing in for some grants, for some funding. Again, like we're keeping our fingers crossed. There's not a guarantee that we would get these grants, but it's coming from some really good relationships that we're building. Yeah. Um, we see ourselves in 2021, 2022, um, you know, really, really thriving and doing some uh, groundbreaking work related to the Afro Village and the community at large here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we would love to, you know, um, support others with their movement and mission in other places because we're not alone in this. And that's what I find in this work. Sometimes you feel that you're alone because you don't may come from an institution, institutional education, or you may not have those skills, but hey, just the thought, you know, putting it out there could really go a long way. So yeah. that when you're saying like, I'm in a good place because I've been staying away from all the chatter and like kind of just bringing it in on myself when it starts to get in my own head, I'll just breathe, open up the door, get some fresh air. Um, because sometimes you have to isolate yourself away from things and a healthy isolation um, instead of feeling like you're alone. So you're not alone. We're here, we're in this together. And yeah, that's that's what I have to say. It takes a village to raise a community to bring that vibration. Yeah. We're all children, you know, we all start in one way or another. So like that childlike state of like being curious, continue to build off of that curiosity and take actions within those steps of that. So we're child, we're children. I'm rocking. So blessed to be here with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you may be in, in, in need of some support around maybe uh, as you think about grants and, and, you think about uh, developing um, an online presence and, and other things around this project that you've been working on. So I'll be sure to uh, pass on any folks that reach out to me that want to uh, contribute and assist you as you do that. Yeah, uh, I have, I do. You, you guys can follow me, follow the page, the Afro Village uh, PDX project on Facebook. Like if you plug in Afro Village, I'm trying, I'm, I'm working 
you know, like it, as I can to put in like the events or any work that we've done, images or anything like that, just to actively stay with that. Again, I, I mentioned what my name is. It's Laquita, L-A-Q-U-I-D-A, -A, last name Lanford, L-A-N-D-F-O-R-D. You can also like check it, check me out, you know, on social media, on those platforms as well. Yeah, and I'll be sure to add uh, the links that uh, were just mentioned into the show notes so that way folks can just click through and, and find uh what was just mentioned uh as oh also if you want to give me some dough i got a venmo account and i got a cash app y'all like let's get it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah I, i'll make sure to include those as well because i do want my community that our, our community with the podcast to be being community with you because th that's what this is all about is building a community and supporting each other in the different initiatives and projects that we take on. So are there any uh, last thoughts you'd like to share or words of wisdom as, as we part ways, Laquita? Um, you know, I would say world family, you know, take care of yourself in these last uh what month and a half into i know we all are like so ready for 2020 to be over um but the more we say that we want something to be over there's like more things that'll come you know so take your time and drink plenty of water you know get some fresh air and can definitely connect with your with your community check in with your folks and make sure folks are okay okay Thank you so much for joining me and uh, I, I hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Yes. Talk to you soon. Great. I think they'll finish it up. Um, I, I'm going to be releasing this episode on the week of Thanksgiving and it's okay. going to be actually a week uh, that I'm calling community week. Cause I, I just got tired of it being called Thanksgiving week. Cause there's mm -hmm. a, there's a narrative that comes with that, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I I'm curious to know, how would you describe community week or what, what having a community? What does that mean to you? Community again, it's the I feel like it's it's the village. It's you like we're like okay, let's let's we don't have to break down in the short <laughs> term of like Thanksgiving, but for the last few years of my adult life, I've, I'm thankful every day and I give grace every day. So I don't say Thanksgiving, I say giving thanks. Um, and that's how I identify that time with my family is just like us all collectively coming together, whether we bring a potluck together. I know some folks are like Friendsgiving, you know, just so like, again, I feel like it's the relationship. It's the, it's that connection. That's what community is all about is it's, it's communal. Right, like it's you. If you're Catholic, you go. You get your communion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You go get your communion. Um, but it's 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 a communion. It's a it's a it's a exchange of of of, of values and, and and principles and love. So community is love. Yeah, community is love indeed. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the Guida. She is doing some amazing work in Portland and. I just thought her perspective was very unique that people are not really listening to or, or, or hearing in mainstream media. So if you enjoyed this episode today, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast 
or simply send me an email, say hello, let me know what you're enjoying about these series or episodes. And you can find the Climate for Online podcast in all major podcasting platforms. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I will see you tomorrow for day three. The communities who are experiencing the worst effects of climate change are those who are best positioned to innovate solutions. Thank you for tuning in and being part of the changing narrative. See you next time at the Climate Frontline. Oh,